All right. There's no music yet, but welcome. We're going to play a little something different here. I'm joined by Riley Thurm. You want to say hi? Hello, hello. And we're going to play intro music after I've already intro And we'll just play a little bit of this and listen to it. This is uh, uh, one of this is your latest single released mm-hmm. by Trees Reach, right? And then we'll discuss a little bit. It's called Wisconsin. I'll listen to that ambiance. Folded and dry Held in your heart of hearts Away from age and time And every ancient photograph And anthem Spreads it on your lap To map new lines It led to the Northeast with the river that so flowed for miles And as long as you're there with me wherever we may roam Every slope of that hot road will feel like home drive seems strange to me the sun is out but I can't barely see Hello, hello, are we there? Yes, okay. I could keep going, but we won't. I'll play the rest on the outro here. Um, you guys write long songs. We do. That yeah. was uh, that one's six minutes, I think, or five. Your other single was five or six, something like that. Mm-hmm. These kids are meandering. I like it. Yeah. You got ideas. That's it. So Riley is here. Uh, uh, Man, we got a lot of things I want to talk about today, and thank you for coming on the show. Let's start with a little bit about just Trees Reach and what's going on there and what you're up to. So you just, you recently, by recently, it's probably been, how long ago did you change the name of the band? Two years? It's been, yeah, it was uh, summer 2017, so it's Okay, been so it's been a couple of years. years, and uh, I've heard a little bit of, I think, what the meaning of the, the band name is, but... Mm-hmm. From the horse's mouth. Why Why Trees Reach? So uh, it's a lyric pulled from a song by the band Dawes. Uh, the song From a Window Seat has a bridge that goes, um, I want to make out of all the lines I've been ignoring, how the trees reach for the sky or in the length of someone's hair. Because when you don't know where you are going, any road will take you there. Which is a, it's just kind of like the climax of this really great song that's connecting 
uh, different types of travel, uh, like the ancient and the modern world, and all the all these kind of adventurous themes. Uh, and the the phrase "trees reach" stood out to Luke, Luke Long, uh, who's the drummer in the band. And we were trying to find a band name, and he said, "Well, how about how about Trees Reach from the Dawes song?" And we talked thought about it, and, and it just sounded nice. And after a couple months of kind of stewing on different names, we decided, "Yeah, let's do it." Let's do it. So is that I'm trying to gather the meaning from the quote. There is this this quest for purpose, direction. Mm-hmm. This um, that final line. What was the final line? Of oh that yeah, quote? When, when you see if you don't know where you were going, any road will take you there. Oh. Okay, that's kind of more that's like has the opposite the meaning opposite, of what I yeah. thought. All right. Well, the trees reach. The trees reach. Yeah, I think I think a, a cool thing about uh, trees uh, metaphorically is that they've got you know roots that go deep into the ground and then leaves that reach mm. high into the sky, and they're they're connecting heaven and earth. They're connecting the the high and the low, and you know creating oxygen out of that. So there's there's just a lot of just blew my mind. Yeah, there's a lot Freaking of... trees are glorious. They are. I, yeah, trees are great. Um, I'm always fascinated when one's growing out of the side of a cliff. Yeah. And it still goes up. Yeah. You know, it's... It, does, it doesn't seem like it's just reaching for the sun, because the sun is sometimes on the horizon. Yeah. So it's not like, what is causing that? It's some kind of... Um, well, ultimately, you know, God's causing it, but... At the functional level, like what is going on there? Some kind of anti gravity thing? Like, I don't, I don't know, man. You know, trees are crazy. They're crazy. <laughs> they they got things going on. I don't even understand. Yeah, I read it. Uh, well, I was listening to Rogan. I think he he was talking about this and uh, a reference to an article where tree trees can hear. So, so what is hearing? What is hearing? Hearing is uh, vibration, right? Mm-hmm. It's picking up yeah. vibration. So. Any kind of receptor that can pick up vibration in the air mm-hmm. is technically hearing. So what they would do is they would they would uh, they played the sounds of bugs eating leaves around these trees, and the trees would secrete in reaction to that secrete toxins on their leaves. No way. So they weren't being eaten, which even that would raise the. Well, can they feel? <laughs> right. So they sense. Are they conscious? Mm-hmm. I don't. Whatever. We can get into that. But so yeah, they're yeah. more interesting than even I thought. They can hear. The trees are listening. Mm-hmm. And the their roots form like a neural network, much like a a human brain. And uh, there's actually in big forests, there's communication between different parts of the forest. They will transfer nutrients through the roots to like baby trees that need it. Um, like there is a, there's literally there's a, community. a community. Yeah. Wow. Which that. They're that Marxist. Was... <laughs> <laughs> Marxist trees. That's, that's my right. New, that's my new band name. That's right. Well, anyway, so yeah, this show's about botany. Good. You guys didn't know we are your resident experts on that. <laughs> oh, I wanted to talk to you about the owls. So you, yeah, you were yeah. saying you're, you got some buddies that live here in the neighborhood and you know, we've got these trees, uh, so as we're sitting here, speaking of trees, we literally have 80-foot trees right out the window, and mm-hmm. we, there's a ravine out the back of my house. And one time, well, actually, the first time I heard this was at our old house, and which is less woodsy, but there were trees around, right? There's trees all over town. And we're sitting out back, and I hear what sounds 
like a monkey, like a howler monkey. Now, you've been in Iowa. How old are you? 23. 23 years. Some of that conscious, <laughs> sentient. Mm-hmm. Some of it as a toddler. But you've never heard this howler monkey type thing? I don't, I don't think so, no. So just sit in. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to try to do it. But, I mean, you picture a howler monkey. Like you're, I'm literally like, did a freaking monkey just escape and it's in my back alley? Like I have no explanation for what is going on. Mm-hmm. So I go online. You know. Sounds like Howler Monkey in Iowa. Just Googled it. <laughs> I mean, praise God for Google. Yeah. I mean, what an amazing age. So, turns out it's an owl. Wow. So, barred owls, I think it was what they said. Irrelevant. Some kind of owl who normally just kind of hoot. And we can hear them back here just mm-hmm. hooting sometimes. But when they mate, it's a real hoot. <laughs> <laughs> That's not material, folks. That's hoot, off the cuff right howl. there. <laughs> That's right. Like, literally, wow. they go nuts and they're it's a, like a mating call and also i think while they're mating they're just they sound like monkeys that so, is outrageous it is outrageous man different animals reproduction uh like cycles and styles are it's some of the most outrageous uh aspects of, of science it's like you know Gosh. owls howl who knew we were watching so my kids we've taught them you know, how sex happens yeah. and, you know, how babies are made and all that. And to different degrees, they, you know, had different details. But even my youngest, this is eight. She knows that mama and I mate, mm-hmm. right? And so we're watching uh, <laughs> some National Geographic video. And it's, uh, um, well, gosh, what were the animals? They're, they're uh, Tasmanian devils, right, mm-hmm. in Tasmania. And have you ever seen these things? No. So you're familiar with the Looney Tunes one? Yeah, yeah. Well, they don't walk upright. Let's put it that way. They're little <laughs> four-legged mammals, and they call them devils because they like they like make these vicious like monster noises. It's really? like they're they're kind of natural growl and all. That. It's really they sound like little monsters. And uh, so they showed you know a couple of them mating, and it was it was pretty vicious, man. Like the guy's really aggressive and like, biting her neck, and they say that the the female even like grows thick padding on her neck during mating season to to protect to protect against that and wow. he's just like throwing her around and just like he'll leave her and then he'll come back and zista goes this is that what you and mama do but she wasn't <laughs> like joking she literally has heard of mating yeah you know but has no context for it now she sees this and she's highly concerned yeah, oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> for what's going on and i was like well not exactly but <laughs> Oh, so back to the band. I, I'm telling you, man, we could just uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. just go on forever. Okay, so Trees Reach, you guys have been together for how long now? You guys so, have known each other a while. Yeah, Dylan and I have been making music together for um, like eight years, uh, eight or more years. And uh, Luke had drummed with us on and off, and then he officially joined the band in 2014. So we've been Trees Reach for five years or four and a half years. All right. Five and a half years. I can't do math. So, um, yeah. And you, you, you had a previous album release, which was Some Night You Will Hear Me Crowing. And mm-hmm. this is a beautiful album. And I think something you just listen to all the way through. So if you have a road trip, how long is it? It's, it's an hour and, hour and a half. Hour and, hour and, half? Hour and 22 minutes. You, if you're going to Dubuque from Cedar Rapids, assuming, pop yeah. it in and uh, just listen to it all the way through. Uh, but you guys are working on some, some new stuff and you put out a couple singles. We just listened to part of one. And uh, yeah, just what's exciting you right now in terms of writing and performing well, and all that? What are you learning? What are you pursuing? What's scratching your itch? Yeah, well, right now we're 
we're kind of resurrecting some old songs that we used to play a lot but never recorded and writing new songs to uh, do a do a smaller recording project um, in the coming months. And uh, currently, I, I had been in a pretty dry spell writing-wise. I hadn't really finished a song in a couple years, especially lyrics. Like, no lyrics really came. Um, but just this past week, I, I, in the span of, like, 20 minutes, wrote all the lyrics to a new song that I had been writing. I had all the melody, but just no lyrics. Um, so that was really exciting to me. Like I just kind of sat down and it was there. Uh, you can't really explain how those things happen. Um, so it's the muse that comes yeah, and goes. Yeah. And something I'm really excited about this song is that it ends with a round. Are you familiar with rounds in music? Uh, vaguely tell me. So you've got like a, a melody that, um, has like three or four sections to it. And then one person starts singing it, and then another person comes in once they get to the the second phrase, but mm. starts singing from the beginning. Yeah, and yeah, all the different okay. phrases harmonize with each other. Mm. So you get four people, three or four people, depending on the round, um, and you just stagger when you begin, and then it compounds into uh, into like just a really beautiful like counterpoint, yeah, harmonic thing. Um, the uh, song god only knows by the beach boys ends with a round or it's like sort of round it's not as much of a round as is like a few different melodies that stack on top of each other so there's not cyclical like a round is makes me think of that old uh um what is that uh, mississippi moon won't you keep on rising on yeah that kind of thing they're singing over each other and uh yeah exactly even different phraseologies and so um yeah, I started writing rounds uh, like a couple years ago, just for fun. Just like, like it's sort of like an intellectual and musical exercise, and uh, I wrote some pretty good rounds, but nothing that I was going to put in a put in a song, like a tree to each song. But then I was like, well, why not? Yeah. So this will be our, assuming that we we record this one, and it'll be our first time with a with a. So round. how do you do that live if you? If you have, well, does Luke sing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know he's done a, okay, so there you got, and got Hank, Hank plays with you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can he sing? Yeah, he can sing. So, okay, so there you but go. This is, this is a three-part round, actually. Okay. So I, I wrote it specifically. Hank can so stay home. Hank can stay That's home. Right. We don't need Hank for Kick him off round. stage during the round just to make it clear <laughs> that he's not part we'll of it. Put a dunce cap on him. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we love Hank. <laughs> oh, the imagery. That's good. But yeah, that's 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 kind of been an exciting thing for me. Just in the past week, was uh, pulling that together. So, who do you and Dylan and Luke both write lyrical content, or all three write yeah. that, or how's that look? Yeah. So for the for some night, you will hear me crowing. It was mostly, it was all Dylan and I for the lyrics and music because Luke kind of came in right. midway through that, and then uh, the two, the Wisconsin and getting used to getting by singles were all Dylan all Dylan um and then but now with this with the new project uh, it's all three of us writing together so like you'll bring a, a a completed lyric and then someone else will do another one or do you literally like share on the same song um it, it kind of a mix of both so I usually tend to write best on my own like I'll come with something more or less fully formed um 
but there had there also have been instances where like one of us will start a song we'll have music with no lyrics the other person will write the lyrics or like there's a new song where dylan or luke wrote a an intro like a riff and a progression um uh, and then dylan fleshed out the rest of the song after that so uh and then there's an, there's another song that luke's writing right now that i i think is more or less mostly his mostly him doing it so it's just it's a mix it's just a mix yeah so do you have a a theme that um like not per song but generally the trees reach theme so like like a Lincoln Park's theme was angst. Mm-hmm. Every single song is frustrated with yeah. its life and angsty about relationships and trust. Like that's their theme, you know. Or do you, do you have something like that you can say, man? Here's what Trees Reach is really trying to say, or is it just different life experiences? And yeah, I think we we do have a um, I don't know a, a, a pathos, oh, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, let's see if I can do a good job articulating it. We are drawn to making music that uh, has a sense of like awe to it or a sense of like wonder behind it. Like when we make a song, we don't ever just want to make a song that's like, oh yeah, that's a cool song. Like it's music, like kind of fun. Like even our happier songs or happy sounding songs, we, we always end up putting something in there that like there's something bigger behind the song. There's something kind of scary or something like, um, in like mysterious. Uh, like there always has to be an element of mystery in, in a song that I make. Uh, like I don't I don't want the lyrics to all be straightforward, or I don't want the 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 musical elements to sound trite. You know, I, I'm always endeavoring to hint at some something big behind the music. Um, mm. So a song like Wisconsin. It's kind of like the lyrics are very, you know, they're very intricate and, and, and quite sad. Um, but the, the this song has kind of like a happy to melancholy uh, musical feeling to it. But then you have lyrics like, and I'm like the ram beneath the knife, finding strife in breath and death in life. And all of a sudden we've got like Old Testament prophecy coming in, uh, or not prophecy, but Old Testament themes like connecting with uh with like a, a relationship struggle and and there's suddenly like it it's like the song reaches back and has like huge limbs to it um so we things like that we we tend to do so why you say you, you're kind of hinting at mystery there's like an a, a, you know maybe if i could rephrase that there's like this enticement to uh the eternal or something like the connection something to, like that yeah, yeah. so what I, drives that in you um, it's just more interesting, uh, to me, uh, as we'll probably get into, I, I, I'm not a Christian. I don't have a, I'm not a believer anymore. I don't really have a, a very formulated idea of the eternal. And I think it's that mystery that is what's interesting to me. Like when I am, when I hear a song that, that, that evokes that feeling in me, like that, that mystery and that sense of something huge lurking behind the song it's the facelessness of it that keeps me interested uh there's a song called river man by nick drake that is probably the most um captivating song in that way 
if you you should listen to it with headphones in like a pitch black room and read the lyrics like actually well i can't <laughs> yeah. do that in a pitch black room i'll do it a couple times yeah sometimes but, i need to read to really yeah, yeah you gotta yeah, exegete definitely. it you know what i mean yeah definitely i've, I've definitely <clears throat> kind of dug into those lyrics a few times and trying to tease out the what's the name of the song again uh, river man okay and so like the river man is like a it's like this mysterious character that's never, it has no form or no, you don't know what its deal is, but the song is like talking to it and talking about it um, and going to see him um, and like what it, like he's talking about, I, I can't, I, I couldn't describe the song yes. to you, but it's just, it's one of these songs that you, like every time I hear it, it stops me in my tracks and I'm, I'm just like drawn in and I want to, I want to, I want to feel the mystery, but like you never know what it is. There's a lot of songs like that. Yeah. Well, I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's in the neighborhood of, I think, part of what's common human experience, which is this hunch or sense mm-hmm. that we're not just gerbils, yeah. you know, sitting there eating lettuce. Like, yeah. <laughs> but there's these different things, the sense of meaning, purpose, direction, ethics, guilt, uh, angst, longing, I mean, just these things that that hint at us that there's something beyond. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's also the common experience is that it's indescribable. I mean, I think religion is a, an attempt to describe that in, in many ways. Um, okay. Now, obviously, I am a Christian, so I, I would say Christianity is the true expression of when, when we found that face. The face finally mm-hmm. peered through, yeah. and it was like, you know... Truly, this man was the son of God, type thing. Mm-hmm. But religion, I mean, a lot of philosophy is, is some attempt to give coherence to that that sense, that suspicion, that those fondlings, as uh, mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis. Oh, I love that word because it's usually word used in really weird contexts, like you know, yeah. physical. <laughs> yeah. But as you say, you know, there's these fondlings of the heart. You know that mm-hmm. that God is mm-hmm. the eternal is is stroking you, keeping you. So, um, let me ask you this. You, so, all right. So, you're not a Christian. You said I'm not a believer anymore. That's interesting that you, you use the word anymore. Tell yeah. me, let's talk a little bit about that. Why you would say it that way? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I grew up and going to a, a Lutheran church. Uh, I grew up. I was homeschooled in a very Christian environment. You know, like I didn't probably personally know any any uh non-believers until i was you know i don't know eight or nine years old like it was i was thoroughly raised in that environment um and so i i just kind of you know when you're when you grow up in that you don't really you don't really have a have a choice it's just like you're yeah, not even thinking like, at that level. you're not even thinking at that level just yeah like being you, a kid you're being a kid and jesus loves you jesus died for your sins um god is everywhere uh god has a pl- uh, plan for you and uh and so i just you know i grew up in that and i i was really good at memorizing bible verses you know i knew all the i won all the bible quizzes and i uh I had I had a lot of like knowledge about about the the faith. I studied some theology more in depth when I was in college, uh, and because I, I I always had a curiosity. Like through college courses or just on your own? Yeah, so I took a class at Kirkwood, believe it or not, that was 
uh, it was an intro to Christianity class taught by a Christian, and it was like actually reading the texts of like the the church fathers like Augustine and Aquinas. Okay, so it wasn't like that traditional what I think of when you go to a community college and take a religion class where their goal is to bash Christianity. Right. Yeah. It was not. It wasn't like all right. Here's why the Christians are evil. The church (laughs) has been nothing but a bad force in the world. Right. Um, Look at all these terrible things. So no, it was it was. Like uh, we read the first half of the class was church history written by a Christian. Like every chapter ended with a prayer. Mm. It's amazing. This was in at Kirkwood. Uh, the second half of the class was yeah all like going through and reading foundational primary texts on all the major doctrinal issues. Reading like the statement from the Council of Nicaea, the Council of Chalcedon. Uh, of Chalcedon. Um, reading we we read a few excerpts from Calvin read a bunch of Luther, um, we read Anselm's ontological argument. Like, it was like... Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's no So you hadn't that. been exposed to that kind of stuff before college? No, no, and that's one of the things that really irked me, was that when you... Well, the way I was presented, Christianity didn't admit that that there was any disagreement, you know? It was like, you, you grew up... And reasonably so, you're taught this is how this is what we believe. This is you know this is the truth, but they like now I'm you know I'm 18 or 19, and it's like oh like there's a lot of really there's a lot of debate around this stuff. Like there was even by, you mean within the church within the church like there was there was by no means unanimous. Yeah, a lot of like the big things. Well, everything. I mean, even you the Council of Nicene. And yeah. Chalcedon were the basic things, like the deity of Christ, the yeah. the Trinity, like. the, and like the relationship of the members of the Trinity. Yeah, the and and like there was a whole, you know, the Great Schism was like an example of a huge disagreement over like just one little detail of a word about the relationship of the Holy Spirit, I think, mm-hmm. to the Father. And there you've got like empires dividing. Um, you've got huge like geopolitical events happening because like this stuff isn't clear. It's not obvious. It doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. And so something that I was, I, yeah, I was kind of thrown for a loop. Where I'm like, well, gee, like. So at this, let me. I want you to keep going, but I want to put yeah. context. So, so you're this is your freshman year of college. Um, it was, I was 18. Yeah, I, I, I Kirkwood was weird because I started when I was like 16, like taking classes. Okay. So I can't really remember. All right, so when it, so you're 18 or so. Yeah. You're taking this class. At that point, what's your self-perception? As a, are you like, yeah, I'm a believer, or I don't know? Or I, I had undergone at that point, like, questioning kind of quietly to myself. Like, I remember um, being, you know, I think I was like 17, and feeling like, uh, you know, I don't, like, this whole Jesus thing doesn't really resonate with me. Like, I don't, this whole, like, oh, you're a child of God, uh, like, I don't, like, okay, like, I've heard that, I get it, but, like, I don't really care. Um, but I was, you know, I, all my friends were Christians, uh, like, I still played in the band at church, like, there wasn't really a lot of room for me to, to, um, to, like, I didn't feel like exploring alternatives. It was just like, you know, I'm doing this, this is the thing, um, People who are smarter than me seem to be pretty sure about it, so I'll just, you know, I'll just kind of go with that. So it wasn't until I was eighteen or nineteen that I started really taking into my own hands and um, exploring for myself. And so the 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 class or that that type of approach of learning more theology did that have a that had 
an adverse effect on your faith? On my I mean, faith, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I it was. It, it brought was, skepticism. It brought skepticism. I was, and, and seeing Christianity. All right, so there you have it, folks. Don't study theology. Yep. <laughs> don't read anything. Just stick your head in the sand. Yep. Don't read church history. Don't look into it. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was the, it was the combination of, of not feeling a personal connection to the faith. Yeah. And then hearing, you know, all, just the, the amount of, of uncertainty and lack of unanimity regarding these theological, like important theological things, like poked uh, pretty big holes in the whole thing. And I, I just eventually realized like, yeah, I don't, I don't believe this. I don't. That's interesting. Uh, So we really have confirmation bias. Like the effect of, for me, of reading church history and theology and even different views and, atheism and all this like different philosophies like for me has a confirming effect like i feel like oh it just grows more and more Hmm. i get it more it solidifies me more but it's because well because i believe it's what you said like Hmm. this these questions and issues and divisions came at you where you were which was already doubting and -hmm. it could have had a different effect but at that point it didn't but it's kind of like um well, I view faith as, I think there's different ways you could define it, but I, I would, one way to put it philosophically would be um, it's our axioms, right? So an axiom is just your assumption you can't get beneath, right? Like, mm-hmm. I can't prove in a lab that um, that you have consciousness, for example. I can't prove that in a lab. Like, it's just this thing we kind of intuit. Mm-hmm. I can't prove in a lab that we're here. You know, you could just put your ultra skeptic hat on and say, hey, maybe we're in a computer simulation, mm-hmm. right? Like you just, so there's these axioms, things that you hold to be self-evident. Yeah. You know, be, being converted is a, you change axioms, mm-hmm. right? Ah, I have different things I find to be self-evident. So like that when you hear the Bible say the heavens declare the glory of God, right? So that means that the creation tells a message, which is God is glorious, look what he's done. And I look at a tree, everything we were talking about earlier about what trees do, and I go, wow, you know, and I infer from that intelligent design mm-hmm. because of my axiom, which is God is real and God made this. And there's a, to me, it seems intuitive that consciousness is, you know, part of the eternal state and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. someone who's not there looks at the same tree and goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And there's no, there's nothing I can do to prove that to them, right? right. They have a different axiom, which is, it's just a uh, the random event, you know, of millions of years of different atoms bumping into each other and energies and mm-hmm. evolution and that kind of thing. So, I mean, I certainly believe in confirmation bias, and I believe I yeah. I have that right. So yeah. when I when I read um, things, you're not going to. Th- in other words, you're not going to give me a. Uh, uh, you're going to surprise me with the, and I don't mean you, but I mean people in general. You're going to surprise me with the, oh, did you read the latest atheist book by Richard Dawkins? It's like, I've heard his stuff. Mm-hmm. It doesn't assault me. Yeah, I don't come undone. I go, well, here's what he needs to consider. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's a little rabbit trail on confirmation bias. But you you were already experiencing a little, little some doubt, and then you you basically, the, the curtain got pulled back on all this stuff. And what you took from it was like, man, there just hasn't been agreement. 
this is actually kind of a one hot mess in terms yeah, of everyone's yeah. saying this and saying that and disagreeing yeah. on stuff and yeah it's a huge mess and, and not that the other systems of of not all thought are uh, what's that it's all a mess yeah like there I, I don't think that it's it's much different than than other like other systems of worldviews like as far as how much disagreement there is by by no means do i expect uh total you know agreement on metaphysics of, of, across all people because and that just doesn't seem to be the nature of things um or even within one system one thing you know one thing i here's would be an axiom of mine like if, there's no you you can't know everything mm-hmm. we're limited yeah so the presence of a paradox is no reason to reject something mm. so you know people well, often the assault against Christianity is like, well, yeah, what about this? Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's an answer for that, I think most of the time, within the system. But even if there's not, like how can God hold man responsible if he's ultimately sovereign? Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, that's a Christian paradox. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, a great that's true. That's true. However, the presence of the paradox is not alarming to me mm-hmm. because I can't go anywhere and escape that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to become an atheist now where there's no paradoxes. Like, right, you know, yeah. So... So that, that to me just levels the field. Mm-hmm. The question to me is, is it the right paradox? Can I can I assimilate one for me? Is it biblical? Two, is it can I does it make some degree of sense within my presuppositions and mm-hmm. worldview? So yeah, paradox is inescapable. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And I would um like I went through a bit of a, you know, a like atheist phase where I was, you know, just kind of bought, like kind of just took on all of the whatever the current um metaphysics of atheism were which were just you know like is you know there's a big bang life happened happenstantially uh and now we're here after after millions of years of evolution and uh and a, a, a great argument to be made um is that you know there's an equal amount of faith-based assumptions there as there is in a religion mm. like you're you're still like you're looking at the world and and all the laws of physics um all of the like the 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 crazy things built in the to the fabric fabric of reality um like i don't know like the number pi for example that's a that's like a it's like a number that exists in reality it's built into the nature of things that we discovered it and can use it to our advantage like to think that that all happened randomly, like, I don't know how it happened. I don't really have an explanation for it. But to, to just say, oh, well, just, you know, it just happened. That there That is a, a you're taking that on faith. What's well, an absurdity. Yeah, yeah. It's literally like, uh, I forget the exact numbers, but I, you know, read an article that said, you know, that the chances of this occurring are like, you know, I think you'd have to flip a coin and it would have to land on heads, something like, you know, 40 trillion times in a row, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, it's like intuitively you go, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Right. Yeah. You know, um, let me, let me, uh, rewind here a little bit back to, uh, the narrative. So you're a young man, you, you go, Hey, I, I really just don't believe this. It doesn't hit my heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Put it this way. Did you have to come out? What did that look like? Cause you have your parents mm. who have invested in you know i know how i have kids i have christian well i have i'm a christian who's raising kids and i i'm not naive 
to believe that because they memorize the Bible, they're going to end mm-hmm. up thinking what I hope they think, right? right? Yeah. So, um, but I have hopes and desires, obviously. If I think this is true, I would like them to embrace it, and mm-hmm. uh, knowing that I can't control it. So your parents have hopes. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in this community. Yeah. It's kind of like a coming out. Like It was, yeah. Tell, tell me about that. Like, was that angsty? Um, yeah, not really, no. You don't give a rip. <laughs> I, if it would have happened when I was 15, yeah. But mm. I was, I, I, I kind of got through that uh, early on, fortunately. So, no, I, I so I was nine, 18, 19, I think I was 19. Um, it, was, uh, it was like spring of 2016. And uh, I... Yeah, I think it, it first happened like we would be, it would be, we just met Travis Chemland. Uh, and so it would be like we'd be in Dylan's basement and D- Dylan, Luke, and Travis and I hanging out. And, you know, we get talking about stuff. And, you know, I've got kind of some new ideas spinning in my head. And so naturally those just kind of come in. You know, I start raising objections and, um, and then eventually it just gets to a point where I'd kind of like, I, the the conversion, so to say. So are Dylan and Luke kind of like what? Like they're just like, wait a minute, where's this coming from? Yeah, I'm sure they were probably kind of like surprised because you know Dylan and I had talked theology for years and been we we, we met at youth group, um, and so yeah, it was probably kind of all of a sudden like I was you know like because it does you know you you kind of have objections that you don't raise for a while and then eventually it all comes out at once you know, so yeah we had we had just like pretty um pretty uh pretty real debates that were i mean if i went back and listened to them i'd probably cringe a little bit because like you know i'm smarter than now than i was then yeah but that's always gonna be the case so uh but yeah so it, it started there like debating uh with the guys and then eventually um uh i think my mom was asking me about something to do with church, like, uh, if I was going to go to something at church. and So uh, had you been going to their church? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was still going to the church I grew up in. I was okay. playing in the band. And uh, and I didn't, and I, yeah, it just kind of came out. I, she, like, I, was, I, wasn't, I didn't want to go to this thing. And she's like, well, why? Do you have something going on? And I was like, yo, I've got something going on. Wow, yeah. this is the moment. Yeah, All right, just, so what happened? I just, you know, I just said, I, I don't believe in God anymore. Oh! Oh! <laughs> I'm sure that's how she felt. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that was actual audio I just patched in from that yeah. conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, I... <laughs> She's still screaming. Oh. Yeah, it was... I, yeah, I'm sure it was... Well, I know it was really, really hard for her to, to What hear did about she that. say? I mean, whatever. You, you have your private yeah. moments. Share what you feel like, sure. But... It, I mean, she was, she was like... It was, she was shocked. Um, and, like... We talked for probably an hour. Did she call the just, the squad? You know, like the pastor, the <laughs> no, no, your dad. Get everybody around. We got to intervene here. No, no, it, it wasn't like that. We just we we. I kind of like, yeah. I just I told her pretty straightforward, like what the what my doubts had been, and that I just how I had kind of gotten to that point. Um, and uh, we 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 talked probably like every other day uh after that for like at least an hour at a time like there's just like a lot of mm. you know a lot of stuff to go through like, mm. uh, and i think she felt like you know she thought she did everything right she like we 
I, I, I had like the ideal Christian upbringing. Like I was, I was homeschooled and a Christian listen up. Now this is part of why this is interesting to yeah. me and hopefully for my church community because we're very. Well, one, we're Christian. Mm-hmm. Two, I mean, we're very homeschooly as a whole. And I know what that's like. I mean, we mm-hmm. homeschool, and there's a lot of motivations for that. But I start to fall into the... I can hear this narrative in my mind. Like, when I think about my kids' future and whether or not they'll be walking with Jesus, on one hand, I'm a straight-up Calvinist, and I know that it's... God can't be cornered. Yeah. But I find this narrative running in my head. I start I start listing the things I've done. Well, we've mm. I spend time with my son. We talk about stuff. We read articles. I'm gonna teach him theology before he's nineteen. You know, we we preach the gospel to them. We pray for them. Like I start having these things that are the the proofs beforehand of what will occur. And um that's not true. Mm. It's not true theologically, and it's not true experientially for many, including you, your family. Yeah. Um, so it's very sobering, I think. Um, I don't know we could talk about the, the, the response to that as a parent, but she, your, your mom's experience is part of that, that she was feeling like, man, I did everything right, mm-hmm. right? Ooh, did she? I don't know. I mean, I, I mean Could obviously, she? it's a good question. I mean, it's, Train up a child in the way that he should go. Exactly, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Like, where's the sovereignty of God there? All right, so here's what I'll say. That's true, mm-hmm. and nobody does that. Okay. I mean, she did all right. You know what I mean? That's the thing. At the end of the day, like, yeah, it's yeah, a good little try there, buddy. Like, mm-hmm. you raised your child perfectly. So that is a that is a, I think so. That verse particularly, there's a lot of them like this. It's not a. It is true that if you train up your child in the way he should go, he, and when he's older, he will not depart from it. But only God did that with Jesus. We, mm-hmm. No one else could do that. There's like the premise. You're like assuming you fulfilled the first one and then disappointed that the latter, you know, the second half didn't come true. Well, of course I trained my child up in the way he should go. Of course I, which I would say that's, that, that's, a, that's a really high bar, actually. Well, what is the way he should go? What does it look like to train up? It means to model God to them. That's what you did in shadow form, mm-hmm. but it's wrought with peril. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can poke holes at my parenting, my father, my, my being a husband, my being a pastor, my being a friend. Like, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's that's a theological uh, approach to it. I would take. It's like, mm-hmm. but most people aren't thinking that way. Yeah. They're just looking back at their investment, the things that they've poured into their kids, their hopes, and kind of feeling disillusioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We could sit there longer, but um, I want to... Um, you said you had some issues you brought up, but <clears throat> what's that? Maybe just real quickly, what does that look like now? I mean, it's been a couple years, and mm-hmm. I mean, you haven't had some falling out with your family. You still no, love them. And no. You were going over there to watch a movie or a game with them last yeah, week or something. The, like, yeah, I've been going over and watching the Hawkeye football games this this fall since I my Did job. you watch that game yesterday? Yeah. Wow, that was something. <laughs> that huh? was really exciting. Didn't it really seem like they were trying to steal the game from these Hawkeyes? At the end there, yeah. That last drive was a battle. Um, but that mean the refs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the that refs was... Were call- those couple of calls were terrible. Uh, dirty bastards. But hey, we, we pulled through. Yeah. But yeah, so the past uh, few years um, have been, you know, I'll, I'll go over to my parents' house and I've probably a few times a year 
you know, my mom would be like, well, I want an update on where you are, you know, yeah. like what's, what do you, are you still seeking the truth? You know, what do you, what's your, um, what's your status? Uh, and so, and there've been developments over the, over the years. Like I, I'm nowhere, uh, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not where I was originally when I, when I apostatized or is that the correct word? <laughs> so recent, I just recently learned that word. Sounds pretty nasty though. I don't know. Just the word. It matches the, I yeah. like it. It's like onomatopoeia. It sounds yeah, like what yeah. you did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a terrible person. Aren't I? No. Uh, but so yeah, we, we, we will have a, we'll have chats every once in a while, just kind of keeping her up to date where I'm at and what's going on. Is your dad part of that? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. He's, Moms can be a little more <clears throat> concerned and forward about yeah, that stuff. Yeah, I think that's good. I, I, uh, yeah. So if you if you are out there and um, you know you think you have kids that, or really anyone, I mean, we have people in our lives that you know have rejected reject Jesus, and we want to talk about the stuff, but also not like, geez, every time they come around, we're going to be like, they think it's going to be the Inquisition about where they are. So I think a periodic check in is. Mm-hmm. You feel like that's a healthy approach oh, with yeah, her. You guys, you guys can talk and yeah, that's good. Um, well, you know, and part of this might seem like you know I'm sitting here joking about this stuff. Like, okay, so I'm a Christian, so I believe this stuff is real, mm-hmm. and I think that you are in peril, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and certainly would love to see you know God awaken you. I mean, you know all the language, and you know what I think. Mm-hmm. Like, see God awaken you, and well, yeah. Do you do you want me to be saved? Yeah. Why? Because I think it's good and real and true. So it's good for God to save people. Oh, do I want you to be damned? Yeah. So here's, uh, yeah. So there's, think of it. I know what you're getting at. So because I'm a, I'm a Calvinist, so yeah. I believe God has ordained yeah. both, right? Uh, being that some are to be saved and some aren't. So mm-hmm. if both are good, why would I desire the the mm-hmm. former? I think there's simple. I think God is more complex than us. So let me use an analogy. I believe God ordains cancer mm-hmm. and hurricanes, but I don't pray for my kid to get cancer. Right? I don't. I don't think that's the model. Like that, we go to God and say, "Give my kid cancer. Right. Starve yeah. the poor. You know, like because it'll be good and show your glory." I think there's a simple kind of approach that, which is the human. Approach. I'm not responsible for. Well, what is it? I'm not um, smart, wise, loving enough, something to figure all that out and manage all that. So, like, just again for my kids. What I pray for for health. Uh, there is a part of me that goes, God, but whatever it takes, you know, like, and that's kind of a fearful prayer. But mm-hmm. I believe, and I pray that for myself. I pray that for my church. Like, God, I want my church to know you. And then I go, Ooh, what's that going to take? Um, I don't think we pray for persecution. The persecution is sent by God and has great benefit for the church, but I'm not praying for God. So maybe that maybe that's a paradox, right? It's one of those yeah. paradoxes, and that's that's how I think of it. The, to me, the answer is like, let God sort that out. I, I, I'm not smart enough to determine whether or not my kid needs cancer, right? So I'm just coming from a simple kind of childlike thing of like, God... We don't enjoy cancer. Would you spare us from that, God? We don't like people being saved. Would you, would you do that? Would you save people? There's also a, just a missional uh, um, mandate in the Bible, right? So at some point, well, just because God said so, right? Like a missional mandate. Yeah, yeah. So uh, 
So to be on mission. So right, go forth, make oh, disciples right. of all nations. So you go. The disciples don't go. Well, why? You know, you've ordained that some don't earn saved. Like, mm-hmm. you let me sort that out. I'll sort out that um, level of uh, I don't know decision making. You just do what I've asked you to do. You raise your, you know, feed your kids. Well, God can't starving people also bring them to a place of mm-hmm. awakening and yeah, but. That's not what I've asked you to do. I've asked you to feed your kids. I've asked you to work. I've asked you to love your wife. Well, if I beat my wife, maybe she'll love you more. So I'm going to beat my wife. You know what I mean? So that's, I'm in the ballpark of that general. That's the issue, the tension between God is sovereign and Mm -hmm. ordains all these things, including really horrifying things. Yet I'm not God. So I can't, I don't have that. um, I'd like to hear your response, but maybe one more little um, parallel or analogy for that, like, Okay, so I can ground my kids. My kids can't ground each other. They don't mm-hmm. have that authority right. and responsibility. Yeah. And that's clear. That's all. Mm-hmm. Would it be good for one of my children to receive some kind of adverse uh, you know, consequence for something? That, yes, but it's not Augie's responsibility to dish that out to chicken. Right. That's mine. Mm-hmm. Augie's responsibility is to share, to be kind. right? So there's a, maybe an analogy for yeah. how we live in these inconsistencies as well. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, no, and that's a great that's a great argument. Um, that uh, that's one that I that Travis has made. That um, that yeah, I that's a that is a good framework for looking at if 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 your view of God is is that He is you know sovereign and chooses who is saved and damned. The parent analogy does work pretty well. Um, yeah, and I would just say grant him the ability to, to some extent, right? He's different than us, but he's also similar. We bear his image, like. Grant him the ability to function the same way you realize you have to function, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you kind of turn it on you, like, well, why does God function that way? Well, why do you? Right. Why don't you just let your kids? Well, you don't have kids, but you can yeah. imagine step into yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, to the first point, um, which was uh, the the tension between, yeah, like God's mandates to, you know, to do mission work you know, to feed the poor or whatever. Um, and, yeah, the contrast between that and the kind of the hard determinism that seems to be the view of, of the, the the resulting view of Calvinism, um, I think that tension is one of the big holes. Like, I don't, I don't see how that's resolved by the parent analogy. Like, I think that if you're, if you've got a, a conflict between God's, um, God's end goal is the end result that will happen, and then his mandates to us in real time, like more uh, moral mandates. We just have a drinking game where every time my voice cracks, take a drink. Yeah, <laughs> drink water. Um, but anyway, uh, I think that uh, that that's a conflict that has that I have not been that's not been satisfied. Uh, satisfied Let's restate that. I mean, we've kind of it's been the conflict being the dissonance between. What seems to be the end goal, and yet what he asks us to do. Yeah. So the end yeah. goal is the re- revelation of well, what is the end goal? The 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 end result being who's saved and who's not. That's uh, like you've got the at least in, in in my my conception of things, it's you've you've got the at the end of of the world the world's history, you've got those who are saved and those who are not. Um, Along the way, I guess the glory of God has been revealed uh, 
but I, I, I like it's kind of game over at the end of the of the earthly time, right? Like that's kind of game over in in the sense of no one else getting saved. Yeah, that that's my understanding. Yes, yeah, not game over in the sense of the end of anything happening. Right, right. Um. All right. So yeah, that dissonance. Again, the dissonance is between the the end game. You're saying particularly with with people being saved. I mean, it's basically what we were saying before. What? Why? Why would I want you to be saved if God apparently mm-hmm. doesn't? May not. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's something for me to chew on. I mean, I've kind of gave my my response. I don't. Yeah. You know, that could be obviously not satisfying. It's an interesting point i've never been asked that that's that's really really interesting um but again the que- you know what 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 level of paradox satisfies and that's where i don't think at the end of the day we come to i didn't become a christian intellectually right it's actually very non-intellectual it's very uh it's transrational is the word i use mm. like it has no- nothing um going to bother some intellectual Christians out there, but it has nothing to do with the intellect. Mm. And it has to do, well, 100% to do with uh, life being caused by God. Um, so the same way that a, you know you scatter seed and then a seed bursts forth in life and some don't, you know. Mm-hmm. But then that seed will experience something, which is bursting forth of life in a thriving and only later can I could I look back and then start to put philosophical and theological categories on it, right? Like, oh, once I started studying more philosophy and theology and put these put these categories on it. So, but it's it's more of a in existential experience. It's more of a emotional. I want to put it that way. That's not even the best word, but to get away from the rational, it's not irrational, but it's transrational, right? So mm-hmm. now I put the put the rational around it. Um, but it's the experience of longing for the eternal mixed with a conviction that I don't have what it takes to achieve that. So the the despair of my uh, finitude, I guess I'd call mm-hmm. it. And then the experience, belief that that God has met me. He's come to me. Now that's a... You have to feel that. I do believe you have to feel that. You can't just rationalize your way to it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I think, what you were expe- expressing was that you kind of came... Even though you didn't have maybe great philosophical or theological che- teaching, you did. People were teaching you a worldview. Mm-hmm. and But it just kind of fell on, I don't know, dry dirt. You know mm-hmm. what I would call it that? Like... Um, and it was like, so what? It's just bouncing off where mm-hmm. something happened to me experientially where it didn't. It came and it was a watershed moment to me. Mm-hmm. Now, I can see very easily how someone go, oh, so you just had this personal experience. And you're interpreting the world this way. It's like, yeah, that's my axiom. Like, that's that's what I'm saying, you know. And, uh, and therefore, I'm now in this worldview that has difficulties, paradoxes. Things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so yeah, why would I want you saved? Maybe you just changed my mind. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe the problem isn't that with Christianity, it's just Christians. <laughs> <laughs> of 
going around saying they want people saved. Well, I don't know. What? How presumptuous of me. Mm, yeah. Presumptive. Whatever it is, the word. Yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with me? Forget it. <laughs> anyway, the reason I brought that up is I was saying uh, <clears throat> that, you know, we're kind of, you know, you've been telling your story. I'm kind of chortling about it, laughing. There's funny stuff. I'm taking it lightly. And it's not light for me. Um, but I think I don't, you know, I've come to a place where I know I don't, I can't control the universe. My kids and you. And so there's a, I think just a, a trust and a rest with that, that, that I have to have. And I'm really going to feel, I don't know you that well. So mm -hmm. there's like a general, why would I want you to be saved? I'm really going to feel that with my kids. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, man, I need to have a trust in the fact that I can't change things. Like no amount of stress, pressure. In fact, if we turn the pressure up, it might just have the opposite effect, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. There's no amount of, I can't do this. So what do we do? We talk, we love, we talk, we ask questions, we share, and then we we watch. Same way we like I use the garden analogy of the seed, right? You water, you plant, but what are you going to do? You're going to stress the crops aren't going. What are you going to do about it? So, right? So no amount of anxiety or Fear is going to change that. Mm -hmm. What else is on your brain? Do you want to nibble at that topic a little more? Or you said you had a couple things. Well, that we covered a couple of them. I just want I wanted to talk about kind of my how I lost my faith, and I wanted to ask you about, um, yeah, your view. Like I wanted to ask you why. Like, do you want me to be saved? Sure. That was one of the questions that I wanted to ask. Um, I. I'm interested in how you live. And I asked you this when we met a couple weeks ago, but um, I th I am of the opinion that it, it, it's impossible to live as if, like, live thinking and truly believing that you have zero free will. Oh. Okay. Fra phrase that as a question again, or... Um, how do you live... And you and uh, and I understand their argument of uh, we don't have the will to change our hearts, but the the like the hard determinism of you know God has ordained every little thing. Um, I think that God has also instilled in us a, a sensation that we do have free will. Why is that? Well, there? it depends what you mean by that. I mean that that term is just wrought with peril. Like, okay, what do you mean by that term? Freedom to agency. Agency. Choice, okay. like able to make choices. I can get up and walk into the living room right yeah. now, or I can not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, so again, this, you know, you know who Sam Harris is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's a hard determinist. So actual, actual consistent atheism, which is not what you're pr promoting here, um, but promotes consistent atheism also leads to hard determinism because mm -hmm. he's a strong believer and I think I think the logic is unassailable that if you're just a collection of atoms it's like the next domino that hit the next domino yeah. and I mean they can talk about how you know your DNA um, basically predetermines everything and you don't have any free will right so um, agency ultimately mm -hmm. but yeah okay so but back to the Christian worldview or the I would say I keep saying Calvinist because that, but honestly, I just think that's what the Bible says, right? Mm -hmm. Like the law is the, the the law is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. 
That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. That at, mm-hmm. at the human level, we're doing things <clears throat> that appear to us to be consequential. And that's a very small thing. It's not just like that's a, the lot being cast into the lap. Right? There's this. So it's like die, like mm-hmm. dice, right? Think of it like that. Yeah. Yep. So, hey, are we going to we gonna go to Burger Fiend or, you know, Taj Mahal? Well, let's flip a coin. Boom. There we cut. We, we cast a lot. But the, every decision is from the Lord. Um, so in other words, when I describe Calvinism, I think I'm just being faithful to the Bible is mm-hmm. all I'm saying, that, that, that there's this greater force at play, which is God, that trumps all these things, right? Your question then is how, how can I live believing that? Yeah, what's it like to live truly believing that is not your... Why do you connect, why do you, so you've made a connection then between life seeming purposeful with having agency? No, life seeming like we make the choices. Like when I, when I'm laying in bed and like, I, like oh, I'm so tired, I don't want to, I don't want to get up, but I'm like, okay, and I stop the alarm and I get out of bed. It feels like a choice. And morally... Like what it, was that choice come... What, so here's... Okay, so you're not asking me how I handle it existentially. Like, gosh, how can you live this way? You just no, mean like, no, how no, do no. I resolve the same intention yeah, yeah. between... Yeah, yeah. I, so I think I have a pretty nuanced view of what free... Not nuanced, but maybe developed view of free will. Like, So again, it comes back to what, what you mean by that. Like, there's So there's a difference between what's called Augustinian free will or libertarian free will. Uh, so Augustinian free will is what I believe, uh, and I actually think it'll be pretty obvious once we talk about it for a little while, which is that you do make choices, but okay. choice is not the bottom. Choices are determined by preferences, inclinations. Mm-hmm. So there's, why did I reach for that water? Why was thirsty? Why would I not? To prove to the guy in front of me that I don't have to. Like there's always something mm-hmm. that predate, predetermined that choice. Whether it was God, so it's kind of a it, like a I can see it in both ways the Sam Harris atheist way and the, and the Christian way. I don't, I do make choices. I'm going to get up and and walk out of here at the end of this interview. Like, but why? Mm-hmm. Why you can always ask why. Libertarian free will says there's no why mm. because the why, if there's a why, then it's determined and they're at all, uh, by all means, trying to protect free will. So if there's right. a why, right? The problem with that is then there's no why for anything, right? Mm-hmm. Why did why did you so a girl asks you out mm-hmm. and and you say yes and she says why did you say yes? And you say no reason. <laughs> there is no reason. I want to marry you. My will is free. Mm-hmm. So so again, it just comes down to what you mean by that word. Right. I realize Biblically and ex- experientially, that all my choices are nothing but the manifestation of some desire underneath, mm. and that I have no control over. That's what I mean when I'm saying I'm bound. I'm my. I cannot change my desires. The way John Piper, I think, has summed it up is: you can choose what you want, but you can't choose what to want. Mm-hmm. You can't. So you can't help but be attracted to women, assuming you are. You can't mm-hmm. help but want to eat. You can't help. Um, but like chocolate, you, you just, you're just trapped. And so even all these seeming little things that are inconsequential, like getting up and going to watch the game or that, that aren't, aren't big, right? Like loving God or 
they're they're driven by something underneath that I am not in control of. I am out of control. Mm-hmm. So it's not attention to me. I see that it seems that I have agency, but when I actually think about it, I realize it's not just a Christian issue. I think I could sit here with, well, so you're not a Christian? Do you see that? Is it is it now an axiom of yours, as I've explained that, that, that you can't control your desires? Absolutely, yeah. I, so I, that, I agree that's that, how I live. I agree that we cannot, um, we are not really in control of, of yeah, our desires are like you. You gave the example on time of like patience, like you can't or a charity, like you can't choose to want to give. You can choose to give, but you can't choose to want to give. And that's a great argument for the like the sort of the how we are. Our desires are not controlled by our conscious brain. Um, I think, and you know, my mind could be changed, but I and I was spinning that in my head over the past couple of weeks. But I think that. Acting, like pulling yourself to act against your desires, usually if you have like a bad desire, like I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. I maintain that it is an act of the will okay. to act contrary to that desire. Why would you do that? Um, because... Another desire. Dude, you possibly. can't get around this. <laughs> I mean, why would you do... What would motivate that? It's just going to come back to motivation. Mm. Well, there's like, there's, yeah, I need to go to work. Um, and I suppose I want to go to work more than I want to lay in bed. Why? Sometimes. Because I have to go to work. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you need money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always a why. That's all I'm saying. And so you're saying that we're always a slave to the why. Yeah. And there's no, even someone who's fasting, I suppose you could fast for health reasons or spiritual reasons. What about masochism? Tell me about a, that. I guess there might be a sexual desire there then. If you desire to like inflict pain. Desire pain? Yeah. Yeah, you like it. It's a dis, it's a disordering of the you know, it's um all men desire uh I forget the the, the quote, uh all men desire happiness. It's it's what you're seeking, even those who hang themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Like there's something has become disordered and uh I I want some kind of escape, some kind of pleasure. And something has happened to me, some trauma, I would say ultimately like a spiritual trauma in the fall and all that. But even on earth, some trauma has occurred that has disordered how I perceive, um, you know, I will achieve rest or happiness or joy. And therefore that leads to dysfunction, right? Maybe I have an eating disorder. Maybe I'm cutting myself. But I'm doing that because I, I want, I sense a better end. Mm-hmm. Even mass, I would say, even mass, I would say there's no such thing as altruism or even a um death to self like so ultimately even when jesus calls us to die he does that by motivating us to live take up your cross and follow if anyone desires to come after me why would i desire that he must take up his cross so he's insinuating that there's something beyond the cross or within the cross that's attractive you know anyone who desires to keep his life will lose it but anyone who desire, who loses his life will save it. So you're telling me to lose my life? Yeah. Or save it? Yeah. He's appealing to this desire to be saved, to be well, and saying you're going to have to lose something. Now, I think what he's saying is you're going to have to die to your perception of what you think is good for you. That has to go. To find 
what I'm telling you is actually good for you. He's calling. He's appealing to my desire for goodness. So even in the, even in the Christian life, this death to self is not really death. It's life. God calls us not to die, but to live. Um, to die to what's um, well, to what's false. Die to lies. Die to your foolishness. Die to your. That's not necessarily here or there, but it's a it's a corollary. This idea that we always want what we perceive to be good. Mm-hmm. We're always, and it gets disordered. It gets very disordered. But yeah, the why is always there and we're, we're slave to it. So my, so yeah, so our church mission statement um, is to fight for joy. So it's just relating to what you were saying about being laying in bed and I don't want to get up. Okay, fight for joy. I am appealing to you, to me, to people. I'm saying, Fight. Now, here's an axiom that I have, and I see it in the Bible, and it's proven true in my life, that the presence of a command does not imply ability. So when God says, love your wife, he's not assuming I can. Hmm. Okay? That when he says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, is he assuming I can do that? Is he assuming, who can do that? Who can he's saying be perfect? Jesus literally says, be perfect, even as your heavenly father is perfect. Is Jesus has he not seen humans? Is he under the impression that the people can be perfect? What's wrong with him? Nothing's wrong with him. I tell my kids to love one another. I don't assume they can, so I'm not gonna tell them. So I don't have a, again, there's a different axiom there, a different base principle, assumption. I don't assume that the presence of a command implies ability to do it. Ever or just perfect, to do it perfectly? Because we can't love each other perfectly, but we can be commanded to love and to, and to attempt it like, and, and occasionally, uh, you know, occasionally be successful. Or are you saying that there's, there, I mean, given total depravity as a tenet of Calvinism, I assume you, you would take a, a different view on that? Um, okay, ever. So if I say to my kid, hand me the screwdriver, like that kind of thing, like he can do that. Or you no, just I mean, mean even I mean in the moral like, realm? The moral realm, like if you, if you, you, you tell your kids to love each other. Yeah. Most of the time they probably fight, but occasionally they probably. No. Express. Without, so what is love? Right? So what is that? Mm, uh, yes. Selflessness, uh, like sacrificial care for another sure. person. I don't think that's uh, true. Okay, so here, this is very narrow, very narrow-minded. I don't think that's truly possible without God, without the Spirit of God. Like, mm. So you may do something, like it's God is saying, imitate me. Well, I can't imitate him, with I'm not him. So okay, let's just get real metaphysical, philosophical here, right? So here's the thing, God is God, I am not. We have different ontologies. Right, we have different beings. So basically, the law is uh, a tree saying to a bird, "Be a tree." Mm. Good luck with all that. So it's not even just a depravity. I mean, we think of depravity like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm depraved, I'm sinful, and all that." But I even just have a, I have an, I have an essential problem. I have an ontological problem. God is saying, "Be God," to non-God. Why? 
Why is he saying that? Because that's what's good. God is good. How else, what else would he desire, right? So <laughs> here we go. So, so the trajectory of history, so this gets into some stuff, you know, I, I believe about the fall, which I don't, I don't think Adam was perfect and then fell. The, the, the temptation revealed his non-godness. Hmm. So the trajectory of history isn't, wow, wasn't it good back in the day? We screwed it up. God's going to fix it and put us right back there. What's the point of being in the garden? That wasn't a very nice place. There was a devil there, and there were people who were capable of sin and being non-God. But why, what, why put them there? Because they're going to think they are God, and they think they can love one another. And I'm going to reveal to them their inability to be like that, and then I'm going to come to them and change them ontologically. That's the spirit of God within you. Like, So, again, this is magic sorcery talk, right? Like, mm-hmm. But here's the narrative. It isn't just... God telling you to be a certain way and you're going to muster it up. Like, how could you? How could a bird be a tree? It can't. But if this magic tree... <laughs> um, could infuse the tr- the bird with treeness. That's what it means to be born again and have the Spirit of God within you, right? Now, oh, well, what is that? That's God within you being God on your behalf. Now again, this is getting crazy, but I believe that's actually the mm. the Christian narrative is like it's it's the infusion of God's life and being in person into you, and the trajectory is that that just continues to grow, and um, we become partakers of the divine nature, which is what Peter says. Um, the good news is that we won't always be what we are. This essential—it is—it is less. It is way bigger than just behavior and loving one another. I have an essential problem. I what I am is not good. If I was, if it wasn't the case, then things would go a lot better. So people don't take it deep enough. Like the, my failures don't just reveal. Oh, I made a bad choice. I made a. Well, why did you make that bad choice? Where did that choice come from? What, what what's in you that led to that? And that's where you get to this real existential, like, wow, I didn't just get angry. There's something in me that just, just like, whoa, what is, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to live forever that way. If heaven is just more of this, I, I don't want this. I would get sick of myself and tired of the way I am. I'm exhausted with my being. God, help me or just kill me, <laughs> right? So... There's a little uh, sermon, and we've gone over an hour, but let's wrap this up. Mm-hmm. Tell me, I don't know, give me some thoughts on that. What do you think? Uh, my, my thought, given everything you just said, uh, in that view of Adam, that view of the fall, that view of his, like the history of the world and like the state of the world, um, I, I don't, I don't really see the point for the world existing in that way. Like if we are made to be slaves to our desires. We don't, we don't. We have no agency in ex, in, in like the Armenian view, accepting God or denying Him. And if it's all like a play planned out by God, I don't see the point. I like the the, the biggest why isn't mm. answered from like from God's perspective. Why why do all this? Well, hold on a second. Can, so kind of so the first thing you said, if we have no agency, but mm-hmm. that's that's not a Christian problem. That's just the way things are. That's, 
In other words, that's not a reason to make Christianity less believable. That's just you. You cannot change your desires, Riley. Right. And so I'm saying that if I was created okay. by, um, by the God that you, mm-hmm. that you believe in, uh, though in that scenario, given the state of the world, sure. the, his why isn't answered. Or not, I haven't, I haven't heard it yet. Okay. Um, and we'll probably have to do another episode. Um, okay, do you see that it's inevitable that, that a creature would be constrained by its essence? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the moment anything is created, it's constrained by what it is. Yeah, it's bound by its... It's bound, that's it. So that's yeah. um, inescapable. Mm-hmm. But you're still saying, so what, why make the world? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've talked about this. You haven't found it a satisfying answer, which is that God made the world to reveal his glory, mm-hmm. to show how dope he is, <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. here it is. He, sh- he makes you, and you kind of think, yeah, all right, you, know, you can kind of love people, kind of not. And then he brings you to the point where you realize you despair of self. And wow, I'm not actually that. And he goes, come to me and drink. Why? Because he loves people to drink him. Mm-hmm. It's satisfying. You know, like to be appreciated for what he is. Now, seem egocentric, but I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe you don't have that reaction that that seems egocentric. Um, but I don't think it's illogical. There's a being that's uh, that's delightful and the purpose of the world is to delight people in him some people mm-hmm. what if what if christianity taught universalism is like is that the only hang up like if uh hey you know what everybody gets saved oh okay that makes a lot more sense there's this great being that's that's a a delight to drink and he's going to make all of us mm. thirsty create thirst in us so that when we drink we're like Whoa. now we have a contrast we have something to look I have to think about that more. I, I think that's that's not a very nuanced perspective, but I think that the the flaw the faults are stemming from viewing the, the nature of God as conscious and loving. Yeah, cool. Well, we'll talk about that sometime. And actually, maybe I'll bring in a. I was listening to a conversation with uh, Sam Harris and his wife, and they were talking about this the the, the mystery of consciousness and all mm, that. And yeah, it was a very religious conversation. I'll, I'll send it to cool. you. Um, so anyways, boy, we could go on forever and I would like to do this again sometime. Um, these are the, again, these are, I love talking about this stuff. It's to me, this is, I love theology, obviously of what I do. I love philosophy of, um, so for those of you out there, hopefully you find this interesting. You know, there's no big gotchas like, man, Riley cornered me or I cornered him and, um, these are these are the things that that people wrestle with and we're wrestling with. So um, hopefully it's been interesting to you all. So Riley seems like uh, yeah you can't really wrap a show like this up with a bow because there's no conclusion. But you give me some 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 stuff to think about and uh, I'd like to uh, continue that. Well, you know, one on one or on here. I just I wanted you to come on here because I think it's interesting a window into this kind of conversation. I don't know that some people have them, some people don't. And mm-hmm. so what's it look like for us to kick around different ideas and push back and so well, what about this and what about that and do it in a uh, a, a civil way, yeah. right? We don't always have to get at each other's throats. And Riley's really easy to do that with. He's not, he's way nicer than me, <laughs> you know? It's probably why you don't think you need God. 
Oh. Maybe you just need to be a jerk for a while. Maybe. Just like go around ruining everyone's life. That's what I did for 20 years. And then I was like, oh, I guess I need God. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can pray. That's what I'll pray for. All righty. Yeah. God, would you make Riley just a menace to society? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. All right. Well, we went over, uh, but it's good. Thank you all for tuning in. Oh, I got to... I gotta get the uh, the rest of that track up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll send you off with that. Do you guys have any upcoming shows? Um, we are not not scheduled yet. We're we're planning on doing something pretty exciting in the in the spring, though. Um, we want to bring in some some of our musician friends and do kind of a collaborative event. But we're still uh, still kind of figuring out what the details of that are gonna be. Yeah. So, like a little tour or something? Oh, no, just like a show. A show, that's, okay. That's, that's got, yeah, other musicians pulled in. Yeah, good. All right, well, stay tuned for that. Riley, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, see you guys later. If we
it's renting too, but there's still plenty lines to know. So I'll fold it and hold it in my open hand, not to make new marks, but rather move as planned. Ready and set to go at your command. Thank、you